This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Happy New Year, Professor Gershon. Uh, he is not able to hear us, so we're going to keep talking a little bit because we have a guest today. Our guest is Adam Kilgore, who is the Mississippi Bar General Counsel. And, you know, with uh, 2023 just having started, we want everyone to be the best that they can be. And we're going to learn from Adam what makes a good lawyer and what makes a good client. Welcome to In Legal Turns, Adam. Thank you, Liz. It's always good to be with you and Professor Gershon and uh, uh, happy to talk about these topics and start off the year right. So you're the general counsel for Mississippi Bar. Tell us a little bit about what that does. Uh, For the purposes of today's program, uh, my primary responsibility is ethics and attorney discipline. Uh, So uh, our office will receive complaints against lawyers related to them possibly committing a violation of the rules of professional conduct. Uh, And we investigate that, provide it to a committee, and they make a decision. Uh, Obviously, can get more detailed than that, but that's the basic function there. Along those same lines, we answer uh, and help lawyers with ethics questions as well. Awesome. So when we talk about lawyer ethics I'm assuming there's a rule book. There is always a rule book, uh, Liz. We've got the Mississippi Rules of Professional Conduct. Um, those can be accessed from the Supreme Court of Mississippi website. I'm sorry I don't have that website in front of me. It should be an easy search. Uh, but on that website, you'll see a tab at the top that says Research. And then under there, it says Rules. And those rules are the Mississippi Rules of Professional Conduct. Uh, There are, I I think I counted the other day, there are 57 rules, or 55, somewhere in that range. Um, and uh, that's not a lot of rules. It's it's not, you know, uh, uh, the the uh, the world changes. The rules don't necessarily change either. A lot of the, you know the the same basic things that you w- might have been worried about with your lawyer in the 1600s are the same thing you worry about today. Just maybe packaged in a different form. I can imagine the the gossip in the social media in the 1600s. That'd be kind of funny. <laughs> yes. So what what. You know, with uh, with that many rules, that'd be almost like you could just spout out rule 57, rule 32. Yes and uh, no. <laughs> I, I've been doing this for 20 years, and I, and uh, uh, it does uh, sometimes there, – there's um, roughly 15 to 20 rules that we see regularly. And then there's some that, you know, I may not have read in uh, more than one or two times in 20 years because they're not very uh, – um, they're not applicable to a situation. It may be a unique setup. Uh, but yeah, so we've got you know the basic uh, expectations that that a client should have with a lawyer regarding uh, maintaining confidentiality, communication, pursuing the case, which I know are things that uh, that will come up later in today's uh, show. Um, uh, and then there can be some obscure ones too. There's some things related to advertising, how you do your letterhead as a lawyer. Uh, we don't you know don't ever get bar complaints on that necessarily. But I had a conversation with a lawyer about it yesterday. He was changing the name of his law firm and make sure he wanted to do it properly. I can imagine 
in a litigious society, the litigators want to make sure their I's are dotted and their T's are crossed. We, we either have uh, – it's, it's, it's just like the, the rest of society. Uh, you know, the, there's a running joke in ethics that, uh, you know, use the smell test. That was something that uh, you would hear in your ethics class in, in, in law school. Well, I've learned that some people have an overactive sniffer and others can't smell a thing. Um, so it, it might be helpful to have that little warning light that goes on. Uh, but, you know, just like with anyone else, we have some folks that call, you know, fairly frequently because they don't want to make a misstep. And then, you know, other lawyers, as they get older, they get a little more confident in, in, in what they're seeing and what they're doing. Uh, and, and we may not hear from them as much. So. so for the ones that do step over and you find out about, you know, what can you do? Well, uh, one of the things uh, that will always cause a little bit of frustration for people that are accessing the bar complaint process uh, is is simply, uh, you know, what, they hired a lawyer and for an the under an underlying matter, so it turns into to a degree two things. Uh, so, at the first wave, we've got that person who hired the lawyer who is worried about their underlying case. And then, right or wrong, they feel like their attorney may have committed an ethics violation. And their hope, uh, understandably, is, well, if I file a complaint on this, maybe it will correct the underlying case. And it doesn't do that. Um, so, incur- you know, making uh, people aware uh, when we're talking to them, uh, you know, hey, you, you filing this bar complaint will result in us uh, being able to do some work on it and look at it, but it does not result in any change in the underlying case. So the filing of the bar complaint is not going to impact your underlying matter. You have to separate for when I'm not, I'm losing my case to when my lawyer <laughs> is doing something wrong. Right. And sometimes, especially as a, as a client, it's, it can be hard to see, uh, you know, there is, there is a compromised, uh, position as a client. You're, if you're already worried about something, you know, most clients have some variation of they're in physical pain, mental anguish, financial difficulties. Uh, if you've if you've got a criminal charge pending against you, you're worried about whether you're going to go to jail or not. Uh, those are very significant things, and some of them can combine. So having clarity as a client can be a, a, a really big challenge. And some people overly trust, and some people under trust. Uh, the interaction with their attorney. So as an attorney, one of the things we encourage is, you know, of course, the rules required, but good communication, um, you know, drawing some kind of boundaries. Uh, uh, Professor Gershon and I were speaking uh, previously. It's like you shouldn't be texting your lawyer at midnight and expecting a response, but there are clients that do expect that. So managing expectations for the lawyer is a challenge. Uh, Managing expectations of the client by the lawyer is a challenge, and and that can go both ways too. So it really is people people interacting. It just gets complicated. I imagine you probably don't get a lot of ethics complaints when people win their cases, but if you did have an ethical complaint against a lawyer as a client, who 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 do you contact? Do you contact the lawyer? Do you contact the bar association? Well, it, you know, contact the lawyer is not a bad approach just to try to get some clarity. Um, if there's some distrust in that attorney-client relationship, uh, justified or not, that may not do the trick. So the, the bar offers uh, what we call the Consumer Assistance Program. 
Uh, Glenn Waddell is in charge of that program, and he started it in 1994. We were the first in the country to do it, and roughly half the jurisdictions now have an intake program like ours. And very simply, he's the front door in the bar complaint process. So if you have an ethics concern about your lawyer, you can contact the bar. That phone number is 601-948-2344. You can also access it from the bar's website, msbar.org. And again, it's the Consumer Assistance Program. And from that point, communication with that program can result in some of the misunderstandings maybe being resolved. So quick example would be, uh, I'm trying to get in touch with my lawyer. I haven't heard back from them. Um, what do they want? They want their lawyer to call them back. So the consumer assistant program interaction can result in that. If the lawyer's not communicating after that, then the consumer assistance program can file can provide a bar complaint form and you can make an allegation regarding uh, a, a possible ethics violation. And y'all know, if you listen to In Legal Terms, I'm all about sticking the website and the phone numbers in the show information. <laughs> right. So we will have that on there. We would love to hear from you, lawyers and clients alike. We want you to be a good lawyer. We want you to be a good client in 2023. Start the year off great and ethical. Send us that email with your questions or comments. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're discussing how to be a good client or how to be a good lawyer for 2023. And 24 and 25 and 26. And I just love the Mississippi Bar's website. I'm going to tell you about some of their great information next. This is in legal terms. Now, not everybody has a chance to listen to our whole show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show from our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. So far, we've talked about uh, what... uh, how that there are ethics, that the bar enforces the ethics. And if you have an ethics complaint, who do you contact? So that's what you've missed so far. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. And I told you I'm going to have all this information on our website, msbar.org. It has just a ton of information. You could just sit if you're bored one day. (laughs) You get stuck at a train track crossing. (laughs) You know, you could just look at their wealth of information. There's a video explaining jury duty. I love that. There's a sheet that explains the court system in Mississippi. I also like the legal terms and procedures page. I found out that the Mississippi Bar and the NCAA have different definitions of holding. So that's that's different. And, you know, don't forget, if you need to hire a lawyer, there's also a page dedicated to how to choose an attorney. This morning, we're talking with Adam Kilgore from Mississippi Bar today. So Professor Gershon, if you get bored sometime, just read the Mississippi Bar website. You know, Liz, I teach tax, so I rarely get bored. Um, and it's just, you know, this is it really, the, the, my bar is real low, but I really am happy to have Adam on the show. And I'm glad to join y'all um, this morning. I know we had some technical issues on my end, but uh, happy to be, be part of the conversation now. And always happy to have Adam on the show. And, and Liz, can we now switch our attention uh, to um, 
some specific duties that uh, lawyers have. Adam, if that's all right with you, and let's talk about the duty of confidentiality. Sure. You know, confidentiality um, may be the most important pillar, if there are pillars, uh, related to what we should expect from our lawyers. Um, And maintaining confidentiality is a requirement. Uh, For those of you that want to read along at home, it's Rule 1.6 of the Rules of Professional Conduct. Uh, But the basic premise there is a lawyer shall not reveal information relating to the representation of a client unless the client gives informed consent. There are some other reasons where a lawyer can disclose information. Uh, It can be permitted by virtue of a a law or or a court order. Uh, It can be the result of uh, something along the lines of uh, to prevent harm or injury to another person. Uh, So there are reasons to breach confidentiality, but at, at the end of the day, the, the most important function of confidentiality, besides protecting the client, is empowering the client and other clients. They need to know when they're meeting with their lawyer, just like they're meeting with their doctor, that this information is going to remain confidential because you can't get the best advice unless you're disclosing what's really going on. Uh, and again, using, using it in the doctor setting, which is not my area of expertise, but I've said it to friends. You may have said it too. It's like, be honest with your doctor. That's the way you get be- the best care. Get over being embarrassed on something. They're professionals. They're probably not going to react, certainly not in front of you. They've probably seen worse or heard <laughs> probably worse. Probably seen or heard worse. So that, that confidentiality component is, is huge. Um, you know, but they, it can create some confusion. Some lawyers have taken it to the extreme that I can't even disclose who my client is. I, I think that's too much. But I've heard stories of people not speaking in the grocery store to their client so because they don't want someone else to see and think that they're clients. And I'm like, well, what are you doing when you're, you know, on the golf course or at church or wherever you go? You know, everybody's going to think their client, you know, the, the, from afar is going to think the cl- that that person might be the client. I think that's too extreme. Uh, but you do have an obligation to maintain that. And again, it's it's to grease the wheels towards uh, a good, fair conclusion and, and representation. Let's take a couple calls and then uh, I'm loving this confidentiality business because I'm so bad at it. So I (laughs) admire the lawyers that can do this. Let's go to West Point and speak with Sarah. Sarah, thanks for calling in today. What's your comment or question? Um, Good morning, Adam and uh, Professor Gershon. Um, uh, So um, I was uh, recently admitted uh, to the bar in in, uh, September. Um, So I'm a practicing attorney and um, I opened my practice the Monday after I got sworn in. Um, and I, I know the big three things to watch out for, like you said, are confidentiality, um, commingling of funds, and communication. Besides those, as a, as a young attorney, uh, are there any pitfalls that, that you wish that someone would, would uh, bring up in, a, in the uh, legal professions class or that you just uh, uh, advice that you could you could give me to watch out for a bar complaint. Sure, be happy to. And first of all, congrat- congratulations on your recent admission. Um, uh, I'm not. I've been done this show a few times. I'm not sure if I've ever heard from a brand new lawyer in this setting. So this is a, a pleasant surprise, and and uh, we welcome you to the profession. And uh, please uh, do introduce yourself if uh, we're in the same room sometime down the road, and you're having to listen to one of my continuing legal education seminars. Um, you know, I think you've touched it. I think one of the ones that people don't talk about as much, um, and frankly, we don't get a, a very many bar complaints on it, 
but is the is the concept of competence. Uh, we just had our committee meeting this last Friday, and that came up more than usual. Uh, you know, as a lawyer, you are, especially you, you're a great example of this. Uh, uh, you are licensed to practice law and are competent, in theory, to do any type of case right now. That being said, you have an obligation to do your homework and get ready for it, uh, whatever the case may be. So to use an extreme example, you're a brand new lawyer as of September. Um, You probably shouldn't take on a death penalty case. Um, Probably need a little more time uh, if you were to be in the criminal area, uh, practice area, to to build up towards doing something that significant. Uh, There are other aspects. Professor Gershon could certainly talk about whether someone should be doing tax law if they haven't had the course or got an LLM in it. Um, So competence is important, and you know you're you're kind of paying for it from a client standpoint. Um, it, speaking in general terms, it, if the person's inexperienced in it, you probably would be paying a little bit less than someone's been doing it for 30 years. I mean, that's the same thing that would happen if you were going to get your car fixed, potentially. So, you know, competence is an important one. But as a lawyer, I would, I would encourage you not to be fearful of taking on something new. Just be considerate about it uh, and, and think that through. Uh, Professor, do you have anything to add to that? I do. I just want to congratulate Sarah, first of all, uh, one of our great uh, graduates, and we're, we're, we're proud of her, and, and grad, uh, yeah, congratulations on passing the bar. But I would add, find a mentor, especially since you, it sounds like you're in practice by yourself. You know, Make sure, uh, you know, as you go through this, there's somebody who has probably dealt with issues. You've got to keep confidentiality for the particular client, obviously, but you know, to have somebody you can run by and say, you know, I want to go in this direction, is that a good idea? Uh, don't be afraid to ask for help and, and ask the bar too. You know, the bar is there as a, as, you know, as much to support lawyers um, as to discipline them and even more so to support lawyers. I think Adam would say. Agreed. They, they need to earn that uh, membership fee you pay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sarah, gosh, we can, oh, I can't even imagine how Sarah's 2023 will be. How exciting starting a, uh, a a new profession with your new with your shingle out there, Sarah. You go. I'm so excited for Sarah. So uh, fantastic. Let's now go to someone who I think has taken up their shingle and 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 stowed it away in the closet for a little bit. Let's go to Florence and speak with Roger. Roger, happy 2023. Happy New Year. Well, thank you for that. What a wonderful program again. And you three uh, primary people on the program today do a wonderful job. I'm fond of all of you and keep it up. Uh, Somewhere in the files of the deans of both law schools in Mississippi, of course, I went to night school, but that's a history, uh, Jackson School of Law. But there's a letter from me. This is decades ago now. I recommended that each one, be the first in the nation law school to reconstruct the first year of school, which I'll call L1, uh, and make and call it and make it emphasize and call it the ethics of law. Now, you can study contracts, you can study civil procedure, you can study all these various things, but put it in the context of the ethics of law because that is the most difficult part of a lawyer's uh, profession. Uh, I want to shout it out for lawyers who are ethical, but it's hard. It's very hard, and I want to give you one illustration. By the way, neither Dean did that, of course. 
One <laughs> was kind enough to tell me that the ABA, uh, well, the excuse for not doing that was some sort of ABA requirements. But my point is that still, in law schools, in our two law schools, there is a three-hour course in ethics. Three hours. One three-hour course required in ethics. My recommendation was to make the entire first year emphasize ethics because it's the most difficult thing. My one illustration I wanted to point out, because I don't want to get this too long, uh, is, and I think uh, you could probably, one of you could probably tell me which, can't remember what it is, is in our code of professional responsibility. But it says in very clear language, I can almost quote it because I used it in my lectures on ethics when I was doing continuing legal education seminars and judicial education seminars. It says, if in a case on trial, the opposing attorney fails to cite a case to the judge that is against your client's position, this is called judicial precedent. There's a case out there that you're trying to hope that nobody notices because it's against your client. If the opposing counsel fails to point that case out, you as a lawyer are obligated specifically under our rules of ethics to point out to the judge, well, may it please the court, Your Honor, our opposing counsel, learned counsel, has failed to cite the case of Jones versus Jones, which is on all fours against my client. Okay. Now, when I taught ethics, I would say, but, you know, you have to do this, but you can couch it in terms of something like, but uh, may it please the court, I can distinguish my case, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But do you under- I hope the listeners understand that a lawyer is obligated to make sure that the court, designed and obligated to seek justice, is able to seek justice. And just because in a civil case you, you, you're obligated to represent your client and you hope to win the case if you can't settle it does not mean that you're not bound by the rules of ethics. That rule is onerous. It's hard. And that's just an illustration of how hard it is for a good attorney to be an ethical attorney. It also says, I'm not going to go on and on, but it says that if you, I'm paraphrasing, I guess, if your client's objectives are repugnant to you, then you can't, and you discover this, you cannot take on that representation, or if you discover it late in the representation, you must withdraw that means, well, it's kind of obvious in a civil case. I'm not talking about criminal case where it's up to the prosecutor to prove it. I'm talking about when you're trying to prove a case for your client and you find out that your client's objectives are repugnant to you, then you have to withdraw. Oh, wait a minute, you say. Wait a minute. No, you cannot possibly give your client 100% of your efforts ethically if you don't 
if you just can't stand their objective. And that applies to a lot of different scenarios. Roger, you've given us a lot to to think about and uh, unpack. Adam's sitting here uh, getting all excited. What what do you have to – what do you think about what Roger was saying? Well, I I think Roger basically was touching on a CLE I did about – through three weeks ago. <laughs> so I'm glad to report, Roger, that uh, th- those things are still being addressed. Uh, I know Professor Gershon had, a, had an aspect of this he wanted to address, and I was going to follow up him. So, Professor, if you're good to go. Well, we always appreciate it. Thank you, Adam. We appreciate uh, uh, Roger calling in, and uh, uh, very happy to have his insights. Uh, we do talk about candor to the tribunal uh, in great detail. Uh, in the law school class that I'll be teaching this semester, in fact. Um, I'll have 126 students. They do have to take uh, that class. Um, and so we talk about the fact that you must report cases that uh, are ad, you know, adverse to your, your client. I mean, three, Rule 3.3, uh, you know, candor to the tribunal, also talks about the fact that that might be the one time or one of the times when you must disclose confidence to the to the court if your client's going to perjure themselves on the stand. So. We do, you know, we talk about these, these difficult things. Conflicts of interest are, are difficult as well um, in a required uh, class that the students can take in their second or third year. Um, and every ABA law school must teach that ethics class. Adam, did you want to? Yeah, and, and just to piggyback a little bit on the on the law school side of things, because I've, I also saw it in, at uh, Mississippi College School of Law, and I've had enough interaction with Ole Miss to know that it's the same, too. There is uh, uh, always an echo of ethics um, in the other classes that you take. I had one professor that if you didn't spot the ethics issue and you got everything else right, you started with a B at best. So that that is in there. Um, the other component that can happen that uh, Roger was mentioning was if your client insists on pursuing an objective that the lawyer considers repugnant or impudent. And yes, I am reading directly from a rule using some of those words. Um, and, and there are instances where a lawyer simply needs to withdraw because the client is is going to go forward and uh, maybe perjure themselves, or there could be other aspects to it. Um, and so we have another rule, 1.16, which uh, lawyers uh, mo- are mostly familiar with, and it's what you look at to make the decision if you have grounds to withdraw, uh, if you should withdraw. Uh, but there is a component there, too, and we've seen some extreme examples where you may have good grounds to withdraw and should, and the judge will not let you out because to do so could burden the case too much and the pursuit of justice is 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 harmed. So quick example would be very late in the case. It's like we've gone too far. If I allow if the I as the judge allow this lawyer to withdraw, then this could string this on for another 2 years or you know we're still not going to get justice and obviously there could be some very high stakes uh, in the mix that would cause a judge to go that route. So um, lawyers sometimes have to go forward even though they have good grounds to to not All right. Thanks, Roger, for pointing that out for us. If you have a question or a comment, we would love for you to email us your questions. That address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We are talking with General Counsel for the Mississippi Bar, Adam Kilgore, about what you might need to know in 2023. Hey, do you have a young adult in your life? I've got some information that will be very helpful to them 
next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. Man, we hope you subscribe to our podcast. Ooh, listen to it while you're walking the dog or driving in the car. Or you can also find the MPB Think Radio recordings from one website. All the recordings are at one website, mpbonline.org slash radio. So for the public, there is so much information just on that front page of the msbar.org website, the website for the Mississippi Bar. There's a handout for consequences of DUI. Oh, my gosh. I hope nobody needs it, but it's there if you need it. Hopefully it'll, what's that, scared straight some folks <laughs> right. uh, for remind them not to drink and drive. It, that probably should be mandatory reading in, in high school, right? You know, right before prom, everybody's got to read the consequences of DUI. There's also a tab called Law as a Career. Maybe folks should read that in, in high school or in college. And there's information about the Consumer Assistance Program, and that helps people with questions or problems with their Mississippi attorneys. So go go check out that website, msbar.org. This morning we're talking about what you need to know in 2023 with our guest, General Counsel for the Mississippi Bar, Adam Kilgore. We've got a call, a couple of calls. Let's go to Sue in Beaumont. Sue, Happy New Year. We're glad you've called in legal terms today. What's your comment or question? Thank you all for taking my call. I want to ask this question. It's been, it's been bugging me for years. Uh, decades ago, I worked in home health, and you would go to people's homes that were in absolute dumps, <laughs> and you wonder why they would stay there, but they, they were logical, and, and they, they, they seemed to be sane, and they would not... I, there there were some lawyerly type people came and tried to take some people off their land and put them in nursing homes because they said the, the living circumstances weren't safe and et cetera. But if a person is sane and, and they don't mind living in a dump, how much how much legality, how, how much that takes someone away out of their home? You know what I mean? Because you see people up north, you see programs about um, people living off the grid. They don't have running water and toilets that flourish and things like that. But uh, it, it always bugged me that, that some member of the family would get law involved and try to get them into nursing homes, get them off their land, but people would were perfectly happy living like they were. You know, when you see these uh, hoarders, it, how much how much legality does it take to move somebody off their land, out well, of their home? You know, I, you you touched on uh, uh, the uh, you know the authorities being called. I, I think if 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 you're concerned about someone, the first call is to the authorities uh, to get at least a welfare fair check uh, uh, related to the, to their well-being um, and then potentially some steps can be taken there on on you know depending on that person's capacity to make decisions um, and some other things that is not my area of expertise but that does tend to be the first step uh, of course there's also a premise there too you, you touched on it um, people can live as long as they're not breaking the law the way they want to live. You don't have to take a shower every week or every day or, you know, there are, and I'm not making light of the seriousness of your point, but I'm just saying, you know, people are allowed to make those decisions. So um, as long as they're not a threat to themselves or others, uh, you know, um, my, my gut reaction is, you know, people can stay, stay uh, in, in the place that they want to stay in. Professor, I don't know if you have anything to add. 
No, I totally agree with you, Adam. I think it's just a matter of concern, and, you know, people are concerned about someone to make sure that they are being able to take care of themselves. We don't want, you know, uh, someone to uh, be in such a situation that they can't do that when we can get them help. So, you know, while it seems somewhat threatening, it's also intended to be, you know, for their protection as well. Let's go to Max in Jackson. Max, we're glad you've called in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question for our guest, Adam Kilgore, from the Mississippi Bar? Okay, I've got a uh, question I've been pondering, asking somebody for quite some time. I'm an advocate for survivors uh, of a large institution. I don't want to get into the details, okay? Uh, In this particular incident, uh, it involved civil issues and criminal, potential criminal issues. Uh, Ended up, we did get a conviction, but the entity, the large institution that employed this person, also was doing some public relations and posting things on a website, this and that and the other. One of the things that were posted was a letter to the district, local district attorney informing them that the employee was deceased. As it turns out, the, the person was not deceased. We did end up getting a conviction and having him prosecuted. But my, my problem was, as an as a advocate, I wrote that attorney. I don't know if he's incompetent or he, this was a strategy. I have no idea. I informed him that this this former employee was not deceased, and to get it off their website, he posted a letter to the district attorney telling the district attorney that the the employer, the employee was dead when he, in fact, was not. Nothing ever happened. Six or eight months later, I I, I went in another direction uh, and got the attorney general involved, uh, but six months later... They merely took the letter down off their website. Now, I I wrote the attorney immediately and said, I don't know what your deal is, what you're trying to accomplish here, but this person is not deceased, and you informed the district attorney that he was. Now, what 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 is a, a, a advocate to do in these situations? Is is any recourse? Uh, Adam, what? Uh, what can you do? Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a tough one, just because I can I can tell there there's more details to this that that would need to be vetted to 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 fully address it. Um, you know, lawyers certainly uh, we, we touched on this a little bit earlier in, in the courtroom. You, you know, you you must make uh, you, you can't fail to make meritorious claims. In other words, you have an obligation in the courtroom setting in your pleadings to to speak truthfully. Um, you know there. Not knowing more details, you know, this is a scenario where it could have been a legitimate mistake um, uh, related well, how, to— How fast are you to correct legitimate mistakes? Well, yeah, well, it, it, it proof is an issue in everything we do. And it's and it's easy to forget. Um, uh, again, not taking a side here or, or defending anyone, but you know, I, I I have it come up more often than I would expect, and this includes in conversations with lawyers. We as humans, I know this is the case. This needs to be done. Let's let's change this now. But we're in the proof business as lawyers, and so that lawyer presumably had a good faith reason to communicate what he did or she did, and then that information. You know, got information that maybe that wasn't accurate. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have to pull that down right then in that moment. It's not necessarily a, a, an, an ethics 
violation in and of itself. You know, one of the things I, I like to think of it along the lines of, of for the sports fans out there, and I know Professor Gershon and I always talk football before we get on here, but it's it's kind of like a football coach going forward on fourth and one. It's the right call if it's successful. It's the wrong call if it isn't. If we put that in the ethics standpoint, that is a strategy decision, and that doesn't mean that it's wrong if it didn't work or it's wrong if it did work. Um, so that, that that's where it gets a little tough. Uh, Professor, you have something to add there? No, I, I agree with you, Adam. I think this is this is a tough one. But, I mean, you know, what it does say is that, you know, um, uh, lawyers, you know, cannot uh, – we have to be truthful. And if this lawyer ultimately was not being truthful and knew they weren't being truthful, then that that would be a problem, and that would be a violation of the rules of ethics. We are getting into ethics. I'm excited about learning what's what's new in ethics in 23. We want folks to learn about uh, how they can live their best lives, their best life as a lawyer or their best life as a client. We take your questions on our email address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. Our guest is Adam Kilgore from the Mississippi Bar, and I've told you about some of the features of the Mississippi Bar website, but I haven't told you my favorite yet. My favorite. I'm going to tell you my favorite. That's next. Thank you for being a part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, listen to the whole show on the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. Oh, I love the YouTube channel. You can even click on the transcript. And if you remember hearing a specific word in the show, you can search the transcript and it'll tell you, you know, that was at five minutes and 27 seconds into the podcast. Oh, my gosh. I love, I love the podcasts on YouTube. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. At 11 a.m. Central Tuesdays, following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. Okay, so... I know you've all been waiting to hear what's my favorite part of the msbar.org website. It's that pro bono resource. I think for the folks that qualify, that qualify, you don't get something free if you can pay for it. There are a list of organizations that can help individuals that cannot afford legal representation. Is costly because y- y'all lawyers spend so much time in uh, law school and you have to be competent. So I understand you get what you pay for. But if you can't pay these resources from the north to the south and in between, you might could find someone who could assist you, maybe a clinic that could help you. So check out that msbar.org website. We're talking with Adam Kilgore from the Mississippi Bar. And, you know, Liz, I always, when Adam's on, I always wish we had two or three hours because there's so many things we could talk about. And one, one thing, we're talking confidentiality. We're talking about the rules. And technology changes, Adam. Uh, and, and lawyers have to keep up with that technology. In fact, some, some states, I'm a member of the Florida Bar, require me to uh, take some continuing education specifically geared to technology. Uh, and use of technology. So let's talk about that. I mean, some of the emerging technologies like, I mean, just, you know, Siri and Alexa, 
should lawyers be concerned about those kinds of things and, and you know, the changes in technology that maybe the rules don't specifically address? Sure. Uh, and, and there's another one, too, that I, I hope we have time to get to, the chat GPT, which uh, I will do try to do my best to explain briefly so we can address. I, I, we haven't had any bar complaints about Siri or Alexa, uh, nor have they filed any. Um, that being said, um, you know, what, whatever work you're doing with technology, especially if it's the voice work, you know, I, I, I'm not well, well versed in it, but I know there's been instances where uh, Alexa data has been used in some cases to, uh, you know, demonstrate whether someone was really home or not or those kind of things. Um, whatever you do, you need to think about the rules that, you know, the, the, the catchphrase here is the, the technology changes, the rules don't. Rules within reason cannot keep up with technology. But it, the rules can continue to set forth uh, what the expectation is. So let's go back to the 1600s again. Uh, back then, they would complain about lack of communication like they do today. But back then was, my lawyer hasn't returned, replied to my letter in two weeks. Today, it's my lawyer hasn't replied to my email from five minutes ago or yesterday. The obligation for the lawyer hasn't changed. The speed of what is going on does change, and it does have some wrinkles to it. There will be technological advances that come along that the bar will issue an ethics opinion on to try to give you know, more direct applications so lawyers can make informed decisions on how to use these things. Uh, but that being said, you, you know, you still have to keep in mind, uh, like maintaining confidentiality. There's some things you shouldn't share on social media, just like you shouldn't share in a, in a, in a restaurant booth with a friend. You can't breach confidentiality. You have to watch for that. Uh, there is a current, and I'm going to, again, try to be really brief, but chat GPT is something that's just hit my radar in the last couple of weeks, and it is something that we don't want to give anybody any ideas, but students are using AI to draft term papers and the like. You can go in and make, make a course curriculum, Professor Gershon, if you really need to. I watched a demonstration of someone writing a song, and they simply type, you know, they typed in, write a song, I'll, I'll use a different artist example, in the, in the style of U2, the band. And you could watch it, and it scrolled down immediately with lyrics to a song. They may or may not have been good. And it was right there. So I think people are going to start using this just like they started using uh, Dragon Speak and other things that, you know, dictation software back in the day. But you've got to make sure you're not breaching confidentiality. I don't know anything about chat GPT to know whether that information is confidential. If I'm going to interact with them, I'm not giving that any information there, and you can't trust it. They're not lawyers. You are. So it, it, it's, we're in a really interesting place. This world is moving fast. We already knew that. But the, the video I saw about the music side said, if you thought 100,000 songs a week was a big deal, you wait until the computer programs start writing them. And who owns the rights to the song? The computer programmer who spit it out or the person that requested it? So we're, we're on the verge of a lot of change and a lot of shifting. But for lawyers... Your responsibility is going to pretty much stay the same. You just got to adapt to the technology. And, well, we don't, I know we don't have much time with this, but I, Adam, could you quickly tell us how clients could be better clients or be the best client sure. they could be? Civility is lacking in our society on all sides. So both lawyers and clients need to work on that to the extent they can. You need to be reasonable in your interaction with your lawyer and trust him to the extent it you feel like you should. Um, 
Uh, don't under-communicate. Don't over-communicate. Lawyers have the same responsibilities. Keep the client informed. If there's nothing going on in the case, it's not a bad idea. Settle them, send them a letter once a month. Hey, we have a deposition for you in May. Today is January 10th. Just want to give you an update. The next thing that will be happening is this, and I'll update you in a month or sooner if something else is going on. So there, there are aspects of civility and reasonableness that needs to kick in for both people. The lawyer's stressed because of whatever they've got going on in the number of cases, and absolutely the client is scared and worried. And so it is demanding of both sides to try to find a calmer, reasonable ground um, because as a client, you don't want to fire the lawyer and start over. Unless you have to. Maybe instead of instant messages, people should grab a stamp. Ooh, stamp prices are going up January 22nd, <laughs> so buy your forever stamps soon. But, uh, you know, keep a notepad. Send a letter once a week rather than an instant message at midnight. Right. That's not a bad idea. We did it. Uh, we, we ran out of time. Adam, thank you so much. My pleasure. For, it is always good to be with you both. For coming in. Well, y'all do a great job. I don't listen to every show, but I listen to a good bit. Y'all do a wonderful job, and I'm digging the new studio. If you miss a show, you can find us on our podcast, we on our website. Legal- and my mom says thank you. Okay. <laughs> In legal terms, org. Thank you so much, Adam Kilgore. We appreciate you coming in. Thank you to our team, Jay White and intern Charles Arnold, and for our podcast producer, Jermaine Plud. That flood, that's our legal team. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.